Brent, prepare to record a podcast. I am prepared, Zach. What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 Lock. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 129. And we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Memento. Which didn't have any Polaroids. No Polaroids, Mm. no tattoos, no... No. um, no, 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 memento. No. Hey, friends. It's also not candy. No, it isn't. Is there a candy called me- memento? Not memento. It's mentos. It's mentos. Duh. It's my mentos. Um, anyway, hi, friends. We're an independent podcast. This is the only place where you can hear such just stellar jokes, such as my mentos. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to support the show, you could do so at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. We've got tiers and we've got privileges. And Zach will tell us a bit about that in a minute. Uh, the thing that we like to let you know about uh, as far as those privileges are, privileges are concerned is that we create page wow we're gonna have a fun time today zach it'll Um, be interesting we create patreon first content with stargate second chances it's a podcast that zach and i do based off of your votes to rewatch certain episodes in our past and then re-rank them uh zach and david have uh the other side of the gate where they talk about spoilerific things and meta themes and things that i'm not really allowed to listen to and zach and i are just now buttoning up the timing as to when we are going to record the first episode of a yet to be named stargate podcast regarding our enduring stargate infinity um if you uh want to get in on the naming action of that thing we've got a discord server thing that we fired up a couple of weeks ago and there's a number of folks that are on there hello everyone and we've got a very special channel devoted toward the naming of the episode now i think that you can probably pitch in your uh, ideas uh, about the name of that infinity episode in all sorts of different ways zach will tell us the communication pathways here in a bit um but uh yeah we're we're taking suggestions and uh zach if i remember right the person that we who the the title we end up selecting that person will be given five very special votes for our patreon rewatch voting method even if they're not a patreon method uh, that is a true statement that's super great now if uh you know we've got all sorts of different ways to get you invested into our little uh our little hobby here and we thank you for it big time and you can uh you can you can increase our pyramid scheme i mean our efforts by roping in friends of yours to listen to our little thing um by saying to them you can find this episode these podcasts anywhere wow i think i should have had another cup of coffee this is going to be we're going to have a time. To, do we need to wait for you to get another cup of coffee? No, we don't. We're just going to go. We're just going to go for it. Um, okay. Where can you find our podcast, says your friend to you? Whatever. Uh, Google Play Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Podcast Aggregators. We've uh, gotten some notes from folks that say, you know, we stumbled upon your podcast with Spotify. So, um, you know, f- just flou- flaming, flailing around looking for Stargate stuff by Spotify method is a valid way of finding it. But you can direct their attention more specifically by recommending them directly to us because that's how you're going to do it. And it's going to be wonderful. So that's what you can do that. Zach, if a person wants to let us know what they think our Stargate Infinity podcast title should be, or if they have recommendations for what kinds of coffee I should drink to stay more with it, 
or if they just kind of want to let us know that, you know, some days you have tough days and that's okay. And they, they, they love and support us no matter what, how might they, how might they reach out and tell us those things? Well, there's lots of different ways you can do that. And by the way, I just recently got a bag of coffee called Death Wish, and I Ooh. haven't had a chance to try it, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> I might need to look into that myself. Uh, in any case, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. You can go to the Facebook page or the Facebook group. They're both called Walking Through the Stargate. You can go to our website, WTTS.space. Space! And... You can also go to Discord, and you can check out the Facebook and the Twitter for links. Um, oh, yeah. Are you going to add a link to that to the, the website, too, eventually, uh, maybe, possibly? Who knows? I, I probably should. Um, I have that to do. I've got the Employee of the Month to do, and I've got the Grilled Cheese Sandwich to do. That, and all three of those things are, like, 10 months old now. In, in no, the, the Discord well, isn't. Well, the Discord's like, no, not. That's, like, like, like right. 12 Two days. weeks. Something like that, yeah. Um, so... Uh, and of course, there's the Patreon and all of that stuff. Um, I was able to get the Patreon emails out to all of you for October. I know it's late, and I'm very, very sorry, but uh, frankly, October has been in absolutely insane for me. And Zach's uh, been busy, y'all. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when I say that we've put the final touches as to when we're going to record uh, Stargate Infinity, um. That's because we're looking at our calendars going, no, that won't work. No, 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 that won't work. No, that day works. And yeah, that, that's, been, that's our life right now. Yep, yep. Uh, but we do have those on the calendar. So barring something weird happening in November, we will at least get those two things recorded. Yes. Uh, an episode on the Knox for second chances. Yes. And of course, the first episode of Stargate Infinity. Yes. However, Brent. Yes. Uh, now, I expected this to happen, but... The Patreon support dropped below 75. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right? For for November mm-hmm. following. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly fine. Thank you very much uh, for uh, you know what happened there. Um, but and that means we will record Stargate Infinity and get that released to you as soon as it's out there, at least for the Patreons and everybody else oh, yeah. will come first. Uh, later, whenever. However, we are under no more obligations to do any more Stargate Infinity after that nope. first one until that number raises up a bit more. Yep, that's right. I, so. I will not suffer needlessly. I have, <laughs> I have made a point in my life to try to identify those things and to stop it. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but hey, friends, if you want, uh, if you want me to suffer for, for reasons, you know what to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Brent. Yes. Uh, some background information about this episode, Memento. Yes, let's Are dive into this ready? thing. Yes, right. I am. So, the director is Peter DeLuise. This mm-hmm. is his seventh of seven directing credits this season. Uh, he did Descent, Nightwalker, Shadowplay, Allegiance, Smoke and Mirror, Metamorphosis, and now Memento. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in addition to that, uh, then we have uh, the teleplays by Damien Kindler. Uh, and this is his fifth of five writing credits this season. He did The Other Guys, Cure, Sight Unseen, and Forsaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this is, remember, this is uh, Damien's first year with Stargate. Um, but uh, so doing five episodes in that first yeah. year is actually pretty impressive. Yeah, so, more than a quarter. Yeah. Now, we have lots of guest actors They're in this. I mean, yep. there's just guest actors like 
fallen out oh, the windows. Oh boy, I got a feeling we're going to talk about. Okay, yeah, go for it. All right, so we're going to start off with Robert Foxworth, who played Chairman Ashwan. Yep. Uh, he was born in 1941 in Houston, Texas. Uh, he is known for playing the role of Chase Gioberti on Falcon Crest in the 1980s. Hmm. Uh, that was his big deal then. Uh, he's done tons and tons of character roles on tons and tons of different shows throughout the years. Uh, he's also known for doing the voice of Ratchet in mm-hmm. the Transformer movies. Gotcha. Uh, now, he, like I said, he's a, a native of Houston. Or maybe I didn't say that, but he is a native of Houston. Uh, he started his acting career out as a young teen apprentice at the Houston's Alley Theater. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has guest starred as characters involved in some type of military coup on at least four different science fiction shows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in Babylon 5 in 1993, he was a loyalist general fighting against a coup on Earth. Okay. In Star Trek Deep Space Nine, also in 93, he was an admiral who attempted to seize control of Starfleet. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, in SG-1 here, uh, he was a political leader who nearly fell victim to a coup against him. Mm-hmm. Right? And on Star Trek Enterprise, he played the leader of the Vulcan High Council who attempted to instigate a war between the Vulcans and the Andorians. Aha. So, apparently, he's really good at instigating coups however in pretty much all of well no with the exception of stargate he fails (laughs) uh yeah yeah i guess that's true i guess we like stories about our stability there you go um an interesting little tidbit there his character on babylon 5 general haig was killed off off screen due to foxworth's agent double booking him for an appearance on both Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5. And since Deep uh-huh. Space Nine paid more, he took that one, and Babylon 5 had to kill him off off screen. Gotcha. So. Where's our general? In the ditch. Oh, too bad. Too bad. All right. So, uh, he spent three seasons in the mid to late 1960s at Washington, D.C.'s Arena Theater before making his Broadway debut debut. In 1969, uh, in a 1969 production of Henry V. Aha. Nice. Um, as I was looking through his credits, he was on an episode of Kung Fu. Not Kung Fu the Legend Continues, oh. but the original in the 1974. Yeah. Gotcha. So, there you Very go. Very good. His first IMDb credit was in 1969 in the TV series CBS Playhouse. In an episode okay. titled Sad Bird, he played Alex okay. Miller. Okay. All right. <laughs> Hello, Alex Miller. There you go. In the episode Sad Bird. <laughs> Indeed. <sighs> All right. Uh, we have John Novak, who plays mm-hmm. Colonel William Ronson. Mm-hmm. He's a Canadian actor. Uh, born. Uh, he was born in Venezuela. Um, but that's because his parents were there visiting and apparently ah. time was the time was time. So yep. uh, he began his acting career in the mid-1980s. Uh, in mm-hmm. 1994, he acted in the film Legends of the Fall alongside Brad Pitt. Um, mm-hmm. 
This led to other things like films like Wishmaster 3, Beyond the Gates of Hell, Mm. uh, where he played an evil djinn. He also acted in Mm. Wishmaster 4, The Prophecy Fulfilled. That's in 2001 and 2002, respectively. Mm-hmm. In 2007, he was in the film War, and he's done de- several different TV shows like Smallville, Supernatural, etc., etc., etc. He was in Kung Fu The Legend Continues. <gasps> ah, nice. Uh, he played Eagleton in the episode Dark Vision in oh, 1994. So Eagleton! Eagleton! Get over here. Yes, I am Eagleton. <laughs> nice. And we will see Colonel Ronson again in a future episode of Stargate. Yeah, I'm yes. By no means am I surprised. Yep. Uh, His first IMDb credit was a TV movie in 1983 called As You Like It. And he played a character, Amiens. So don't worry about trying to find it now. But I definitely think we've heard As You Like It as a first for a different actor, different guest actor before in Start Stargate. Hmm. Like that's that, entirely that's possible. That's a bell. Yeah. If you, dear listener, want to listen to our back catalog and let us know <laughs> who else may have been in As You Like It, yeah. I would be happy to know. You can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Precisely. That's exactly right. All right. We have Miguel Fernandez, who plays mm-hmm. Commander Kalfas. Mm-hmm. He is an actor known for Stargate, Relic Hunter, and Trancers. He mm-hmm. also was in Kung Fu The Legend Continues. <laughs> he played nice. Enrique Campos in the episode uh-huh. Target in 1995. <laughs> Eagleton, <laughs> go over and get Enrique Campos. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, this is great. In 1987, he was also in an episode of Airwolf. Hey, And we've heard that one a few times along the Mm way. Um, His first IMDb credit came in the TV movie The Desperate Mission in 1969. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I don't even have what role he played. It just, he was apparently, so he was probably like the third guy in the back row. (laughs) Um. He was technically on screen. I learned that Steve Martin's first on-screen credit is from, like, this home movie that somebody was recording in Disneyland in, like, 1959. Um, And somehow this home movie turned into something that was published somehow? Because it was, like, something of a tour video of a sort? I can't remember exactly. However, Steve Martin is seen like bottom frame walking out as the camera looks at the locomotive on the elevated rail overhead oh, or something. Wow. And cause, cause Steve Martin had a job as like a, you know, a costumed like hawker or something. Like he was in a wide brim straw hat handing out newspapers or something. I don't know what, but um, you know, somehow he figured out that that was exactly him. Uh, and uh, you know, he can't, he can't, make out anything that looks anything like steve martin like at all like (laughs) but apparently that was him and so there you go like there's there's steve martin's first first film well there you go is a home movie we have ingrid uh cavalars who Mm -hmm. plays major aaron gant Mm -hmm. Uh, she was born in 1971 in london ontario canada Mm -hmm. Uh, she's an actress known for regenesis 
Dreamcatcher and Stargate SG-1. Suffice mm-hmm. it to say, we will see Major Gant again. Yeah. Uh, we will actually see Major Gant more times than we will see May- uh, Colonel Ronson. Gotcha. Okay. Um, her first IMDb credit was the TV series Street Legal. Uh, mm-hmm. She actually was in that for two episodes in 1992 and 93, playing mm-hmm. the same character, Irene Demetrios. Mm-hmm. So... And then, finally, I want to mention Alex uh, Diakun. Mm-hmm. He played mm-hmm. Tarek Solomon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born oh, yeah. in 1946 in Rycroft, Alberta, Canada. He's mm-hmm. known for Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, The X-Files <laughs> I Want to Believe, and Agent uh-huh. Cody Banks. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, he is also well-known in Canada for playing Chick Savoy in the critically acclaimed CBC drama Da Vinci's Inquest. Okay. That's actually a TV series that I have seen pop up tons um, in the guest actors for, oh, for like yeah. basically since the very beginning, um, for obvious reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a Canadian, popular Canadian show that has lots of people from Canada doing shows and stuff yep. there and, yep. and such. Um, but there you go. He is the only actor to play the same character in three different episodes of The Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. Of course, The Outer Limits is a show that basically has a completely different cast with a completely different story and different characters, like yeah. every episode, right? Yeah. So he plays the same character, Nicholas Prentice in three different episodes in Tribunal, <laughs> Gettysburg, and Time to Time, uh, huh. which is fascinating. That is fascinating. Uh, he was also a guest actor in Airwolf way ah. back in 1987. For a minute, I thought you were going to be telling me one more character of uh, Kung Fu the Legend Continues. I looked really closely and I couldn't see it. <laughs> uh, his first IMDb credit came in 1971 in the movie McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh, nice. He plays okay. townsperson. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of townspeople in that movie. Yep, you know, so yep. he's like the fourth guy in the second row from the left. Yeah, yeah. That's a good movie. I like that You movie. know, I've actually never seen it. It's a Robert Altman. I'm 90% sure it's an Altman film. So, you know, and yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good, good stuff. All right, cool. So, the original air date for this episode was for February 12, 2003 in the UK and Mm -hmm. March 7, 2003 in the US. Mm -hmm. For a long, 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 long time, Brent, we've been listening to the same things at the top, number one on the charts in the US and UK, but this week, things change. 50 Cent breaks into the number one in the US with Into Club. Okay. Well done, 50 Cent. And Christine Aguilera breaks into that number one spot in the UK with Beautiful. Aha. Uh-huh. Nice. Finally, something different to listen to. Absolutely. And as is not uncommon, I don't recognize by name either of these songs. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to recognize both of them when I start hearing them, but I can't. I can't start singing Beautiful to You by Christina Aguilera. Okay. Well... You know, with In The Club by 50 Cent, that's clearly a song that's all about bringing down the house. 
Oh, I see what you're doing here. Uh, yeah, you see what I did there? That's number one in the box office. Uh, and when the house comes down, nothing's left but tears of the sun to come falling. Oh. That's number two. Right? Wow. And if the house has come down, you got to find someplace else. And what, what other place is the old school? Go to the old school. And naturally, all of this is taking place in Chicago. Uh, sure. Okay, fine. <laughs> and, and why did the house come down? Because they were watching How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's terrible. Yeah, let's quit watching it and tear the house down. <laughs> nice. Maybe that's the 11th way to lose a guy. Uh, or, I guess I didn't say, didn't say how many times, no, but. No. But. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. That was, right. that was a good one. Well there done. There you go. There you go. Uh, so, what was happening at around this time in early March of 2003? Mm-hmm. Well. On March 2nd, the first international symposium on Taiwan Sign Language Linguistics is held at the Chongqing University. Hmm. Okay. Also on the 2nd, fast bowler Andy Bichel, Bickel, B-I-C-H-E-L, Bichel, who knows, Andy, takes a career best 7 for 20 as Australia beats England by two wickets in a Cricket World Cup match in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. There you go. Uh, Australia is unbeaten in a record 12 ODI games. ODI. I don't know what ODI stands for. I have no idea. If you know what ODI stands for, please let me know. On March 5th, in Haifa, uh, 17 Israeli civilians are killed by a Hamas suicide bomb Mm. uh, in the Haifa bus 37 massacre. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think I remember that. Uh, I don't know if I remember that one specifically, but I certainly remember lots and lots of Hamas suicide bombs going on and around and with. Specifically with bus. Well, like, that's why I'm like, because, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, on March 10. Uh, Lone Star releases the single My Front Porch Looking In and that becomes Billboard Song of the Year in 2003. I don't know that song. I don't know that song either. <laughs> but apparently it was Billboard Song of the Year. Wow. Yeah, well, you know. Huh. Like, I have an excuse for not knowing. I don't know any of it. I, 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 whatever. I... 2003. This is this is this is a troublesome time in my past. So, what was playing on the radio? I can't even remember. Fair enough. We have some trivia for this episode. Would you like to hear it, Brent? Uh huh. Okay. Yes, please. So, uh, General Hammond is seen only in that one little clip when they're talking on the video phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll use the term video phone because, you know, this is 2003 and things like FaceTime and Zoom and all of these other things, you know. Anyway, uh, yep. in the background of that, on his right shoulder in the back is uh, this airman. Mm-hmm. And that is actually Damien Kindler, the writer of this episode. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, the navigator for this, so he does actually have a speaking sp- 
speaking part, but I didn't mm-hmm. talk about him. And maybe I should have, but I didn't. In any case, his name is Major, P- Major Peter DeLuise. With, so, uh, it, oh. the, the director yes. is Peter DeLuise, which is yes. D-E-L-U-I-S-E. But yeah. the character is Peter De- DeLuise, D-E-L-O-U-I-S-E. But, and naturally... Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that that guy's. I thought so. Are we talking about the 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 guy in the Prometheus who was sitting to uh, Colonel What's His Face's left? I believe so. But he was named, wasn't he? Uh, I like so. didn't didn't Colonel What's His Face be all like Jimmy? Uh, go to fifty percent thrusters or whatever. I I I don't remember for sure. Okay, I can't remember. Maybe, maybe I'm full of it. Okay, and and maybe anyway. that's not actually the navigator. Maybe the but I don't know. In any case. There, uh, there was a character that they named Peter DeLuise out of yep. after Peter DeLuise, but yeah. they changed the spelling just slightly. Changed the name. Yep. Um, the security forces that meet SG One are wearing German camouflage known as Flecktarn. So okay, that's kind of cool. They they drew from from that uh, stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a line. Let's hope the old man is right, or this is going to be a short ride spoken mm-hmm. by Colonel William Ronson, is naturally a, uh, a reference and homage to uh, Han Solo talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> yes. in A New Hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. Um, now, in addition to the, the camouflage, the German camouflage, we have several armored vehicles. Uh, one of the yes. few times when we see the people of a planet driving vehicles that we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this armored vehicle used by Commander Kalfas uh, when he fires on Teal'c and Jonas uh, is a V-100 variant of the Cadillac Gage Commando M-706 amphibious vehicle used in Vietnam and other conflicts of the 1960s. Hmm. Um, so, there you there have you go. that. Nice. Um, while SG-1 was having supper on the Prometheus, Chairman Ashwan comments on the food having been prepared millions of light years away. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, I, I'm not going to call this a mistake or, you know, or anything, or goof or anything like that, um, because no one would have expected a chancellor or chairman from an alien planet to, you know, get it right. I might say millions of light years away in such and that, but the Milky Way galaxy is only a hundred thousand light years in diameter, not millions. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and uh, the nearest large galaxy to us is Andromeda, which is only two million light years away, <laughs> which admittedly then would qualify as millions plural yes fair enough yes it but, is. there's more than one million yes but that's right. you know when we say millions of something uh we're thinking not just like two but no several usually a few sorry yeah i'm stretching you on there that's okay you can stretch all you'd like hey thanks appreciate it yep um the smgs that calphus's men are carrying during the standoff uh, the, the, the rifles that they were using will later be used in a in Stargate Atlantis for a race there. Hmm. Okay. So, um, 
key. I, I, I wrote that down and then I forgot to look carefully at that. Um, but if I ever get a chance to rewatch this episode again and I remember that, I'll take a peek at that. But there you go. There you go. Um, I mentioned briefly in the episode Disclosure that the table will see a oh, uh, yeah. reprise. And indeed, in this episode, yeah. uh, the the, t- the table that they're meeting around... Um, Oh well, yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah, conference yeah. room, yeah. right, right yeah. Now on on the planet, is actually the same room that was used in disclosure. Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And then later, that will actually be used in an episode or two or three or something of Atlantis. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, um, when the uh, core, right, the Nequadria core, is being ejected out of the side of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, before it goes kablooey, that's actually a reuse of the shot of Simmons tumbling into space back in uh, Prometheus <laughs> Unbound. Uh-huh. They just took Simmons out and they put the uh, the core in and re- they reused that shot. <laughs> Good news. Good news, Colonel Frank si- Frank, right? Colonel Frank Colonel Simmons. Frank Simmons. You're going to get another role. I am. Yes. As a tumbling mass of inert, not inert, as a tumbling mass of Nequadria. Well, Wait, it, it's like the whole core, engine core. I know, but still. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. So uh, this episode in foreign language titles, yeah. in the French, they call it Seeking for the Past. Okay. Italian and Spanish is both memento. Hungarian is memento, but it's like a dubbed in English, so it's like memento in Hungarian uh, accent. My mentos. Sure, if that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Germans call this past. Really? That's past. it. Gangenheit. <laughs> past. And the wow. Czech call it the witness of the past. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah, sure. So. There you go. There you go. All right. Are you ready, dear Brent, for the synopsis? Sure. Here we go. The Prometheus, orbiting Earth, guarding the planet from whatever vile enemies may come to attack it. Suddenly, the klaxons blare. Battle stations, Colonel Ronson orders, sound general quarters. Crew members scurry through the hall to prepare for a fight. A gold hot-talk vessel has been detected. Beep, beep, beep. This is a test. This is only a test of the emergency Gould have been detected detector system. This is only a test. Beep, beep, beep. On board the ship, Colonel O'Neill, along with Teal'c, are isn't especially happy about the constant drills. The tests are get, he, making him testy. He and yeah. Teal'c head to the bridge. O'Neill is doing his best to interrupt the drill already in progress. O'Neill is bored on the ship and would rather be somewhere else. But when he contacts General Hammond to complain, the general informs him that his presence will be invaluable on this first shakedown mission for Earth's shiny new space battleship. Hammond advises O'Neill to just simply sit back and enjoy the ride. Before Enjoy ending the, the call. 
Soon, the Prometheus receives a go from Vandenberg Air Force Base to fire up their new Nequadria hyperspace engines for a jaunty little cruise to P7X009. Ronson tells Major Gant that he wants yet another battle drill to begin at 0500. As Gant heads off, O'Neill and Ronson meet in the elevator. Ronson tells O'Neill that the Prometheus's crew needs to be able to count on him as their colonel, their leader, their commander, and each other, because SG-1's not going to be there all the time. Which makes sense. Suddenly, the ship drops out of hyperspace. Concerned, Ronson heads off to the bridge, while O'Neill summons Teal'c and Major Carter to go to the bridge. After some investigation, the crew finds out that the reactor's buffer overloaded. Their circuit breaker broke. And we're not just talking about one of those circuit breakers with the little switches that you just go, whoop, turn that back on. No, we're talking like old school fuse boxes with fuses that burn out (laughs) when they experience a surge, you know, so the whole circuit doesn't totally fry and explode the whole ship. It's a good thing you have those fuse boxes. Now, one would think that you'd pack at least a couple of extra fuses as backups just in case, you know, your one (laughs) one breaks. But but maybe that's just me. Is that that just me? Maybe they're really big. uh, uh, Look, if it stops working, if this one little thing breaks, even if it's a big little thing, bring a spare. You're not ready ready for a shakedown cruise yet then. (laughs) Anyway. The Nequadria surge protector fried due to passing by a gravitational wave from a collapsing star while in hyperspace. Well, that would certainly do it. And since no one packed any replacements, and not even Carter can Apollo 13 a replacement, they're all in a world of hurt. An abyss of space hurt? I I don't know. Anyway. Abyss of space hurt? Well, they're not really on a world. They're they're in oh yeah yeah yeah, space yeah, yeah. a world hurting. of hurt. Ah, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, that took a minute. That's okay. okay. Good, 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 good stuff. Okay. Good, okay. good. Okay, all I right. Like Fortunately, they realize that they're only a hop, skip, and a jump through the perils of Nequadria-powered hyperspace to P three X seven seven four no seven four four. Now we've tried dialing it before without success, but the address is on the cartouche, so there at least was a Stargate there once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's try that. Let's do that. Okay. And so, with a hop, skip, and a jump, they find themselves orbiting P3X744. Woohoo! Unfortunately, that jump made the hyperspice engine short out. And here's a lesson, kids. Don't jury-rig a bypass to the circuit breaker. That's very bad. Because, you know, when it, it doesn't... It, 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 fortunately, they can eject the core and save the ship before everything goes really, really bad. Unfortunately, the resulting EM pulse damages the ship, complete with sparks and steam and, and a big beefy guy turning the steam off, as well as an adverse effect on the, pla- the people of the planet living on 744. Things get worse when they detect a couple of ballistic missiles barreling toward them from the planet. Oh, no! O'Neill oh, gets no. on the radio. Please don't blow us up, sir. Please. We're very sorry. We're defenseless. We'd like to be your friends, but we can't do that if we're blown up. So, please don't blow us up. At the last second, the missiles are detonated and the day is saved. Well, the ship is still broke and they'll need the help and the goodwill of the inhabitants of 744 to fix it. So, maybe the whole day isn't saved just yet. 
Shortly after the missiles detonated, the Prometheus receives a transmission. You can land in precisely the place we tell you to land. And I clearly don't like you. Oh, and our planet is called Tegria. So, there you go. All right. The Prometheus lands, and SG-1 leaves the ship to meet the Tegrians. Upon going outside, they are confronted by a large army with a demand to drop their weapons. O'Neill's like, yeah, that, that's, that's a good idea. We better do that. So they set their weapons down, because actually dropping semi-automatic weapons is, is, is a bad idea. Don't, don't do that. No. No. Uh, so, they are brought into a city where they meet Chairman Ashwan and his council. The team talks to the council about the need to find the Stargate. It's this giant ring thing with a, a controller and you, you, you push the buttons in the white way and it kind of like flushes sideways and uh, apparently the Ring of the Gods is a myth. Who knew? After SG-1 leaves, the chairman talks to Commander Kalfus. You know, he's the guy that insisted SG-1 disarm, and he's openly hostile to the newcomers, and he's not really concerned with hiding that even a little bit. Suffice it to say, he is skeptical of SG-1's intentions and account of events and pretty much everything else. Back on the ship, the team looks over several historical documents given to them by the council, but they find nothing regarding the Stargate. Teal and Jonas then get access to the archive of the Tegrians in exchange for a very nice meal on Prometheus with Councilman Ashwan, Commander Kalfus, and several other unnamed high-level dignitaries or something from Tegria. Ronson isn't too keen on this plan, but eventually accepts his own invitation to the dinner party. Teal and Jonas don't have much success in their research either until they meet up with a strange man named Tarek Solomon, he says he has some artifacts that may help them find the Ring of the Gods. This whole process has revealed something unexpected about the Tegrians. Some time ago, the people overcame some kind of great cataclysm, and upon surviving this said great cataclysm, they determined to destroy every hint of whatever that great cataclysm was, and all of the history that led up to said great cataclysm. Did you catch that? So, there are some people... Councilman <laughs> Ashwan, for one, who mourn the loss of their history. But, eh, what can you do? It's literally not there. Well, except for the big giant ring buried in the desert only a few feet beneath the surface, but it's totally not there. Don't think too hard about that. There are others, like Commander Kalfus, who are content with the status quo. The status of the quo needs to be quo. I don't know. Anyway. In his office, Tarek shows Jonas and Teal'c some relics from ancient times and believes their creator to be the god Harrower. Thanks to an old document, they also find out where the Stargate may lay. Jonas and Teal'c receive permission to head out to the wastelands of Anhur and begin digging. For reasons of plot, they find it relatively easily, just a few feet below the surface. And sure enough, when they... Scrape off a little bit of the cover stone. It says exactly what they want it to say. That is to say, the Stargate is right here. It was used by Harrower, and then when we kicked his butt, he's like the false god, and we don't like him anymore, so we buried it. Kind of strange for somebody to, to do that if they were going to totally destroy the nature of the whole civilization stuff. But like I said, we'll don't, don't, don't think too hard. Um, now, 
For reasons of plot, they do find the Stargate, and with the help of several Tagrian <laughs> workers, it is lifted up in a majestic fashion reminiscent of the original discovery of the Stargate back in the 1930s on Earth in the cool movie, you know, like, ooh, sand oh, yeah. falling, light glistening, the sun, it was just beautiful, amazing. Oh, actually, yeah, right, right the down, cinematography right the actually was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's, that's how once the gate is standing, there's nothing left to do but to try it out. Just as the Kawushes, Kelphis storms in with his tanks and takes Jonas and Teal prisoner along with all of the workers. Oh no! Ashwan orders Kalfus to stand down, but Kalfus refuses, and so Ashwan tells the gun batteries that are aimed at the Prometheus to leave the ship alone while they go and provide support. So the X-303 flies over to the Stargate to provide that said support. O'Neill and Carter, along with Ashwan, ring into the midst of this very tense situation to negotiate with Kalfus, and of course we hear Ronson saying, Prometheus has your six, SG-1. Ashwan gives mm-hmm. an inspiring speech, and the end result is that Kalfus's officers stand down and take him into custody. The day is saved! Woohoo! Hooray! SG-1 then uses the Stargate to bring back equipment from Earth to repair the Prometheus. Jonas says goodbye to Tarek, and SG-1 goes home. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Memento. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of this episode? Um, hey, Zach? Yes, Brent? What the heck happened here? <laughs> like, everything about this... Uh, so, all right, all right, okay, okay. Um, Boy, there's a... Boy, there's a... There, uh, there's a lot of information, technically, being provided in these 43 minutes. Like, a lot of information, technically, being provided. Um... Uh, I I got my first moment of it when I can't remember when exactly the call for full shields was made. I thought it was pretty early on and I was like, the Prometheus has shields, I guess. Um, I, I, I guess it makes a degree of sense because the, the, the ghoul chips and the, and the Tokra ships have shields. And so we've been taking a lot of that technology and, and incorporating it like, okay, but for some reason, it just didn't quite click. So I will point out there just briefly that yeah. in the episode Disclosure, right, when, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Kinsey is doing Kinsey stuff and Kinsey is thwarted when they call in uh, Thor to yeah. say. Oh, right. And Thor yes. does mention that one of yeah. the things that he's yeah, going yeah, to yeah. do is. Is kid out the Prometheus. Kid out That's the right. Prometheus. That's right. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but I think that that moment and my sort of like, oh, okay, I guess this is happening might very well describe how I was feeling in the entire 43 minutes of this episode. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. This is happening. Oh, uh, this is happening. Uh, Oh, okay. I guess this is happening now. And this felt like, I mean, this felt like I was watching a book report on a movie. (laughs) right like like there was a ton there was a ton of information provided in this episode a ton um updates on the prometheus's capabilities updates on the prometheus's like um leadership frankly like who who's crewing it um having sg1 there for the shakedown makes a degree of sense as hammond was saying but like they they did 
feel a little out of place. And that was that was that was like noted by our characters in the episode. So it's not like that was a heinous crime. Um, Then a problem happens that technically strands them. But within seconds, they have a solution. And within seconds, they have the ability to get to where they need to go. Within seconds, it's not a problem. Within seconds, uh, they have a different problem. Within seconds, it's resolved. Within seconds, they're given to a new spot to go. Within seconds, they have this 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 moment of first contact within seconds these moments of first contacts are like being developed into like almost full-blown state negotiations um within seconds we were introduced to a, a particularly interesting problem to like solve so nominally this is what our episode's going to be about like how do we reconnect this group of people to their past in order to get our heroes back home but everything happened so freaking fast like it was really galling in the library no in the mathematician's office is where it really was uh bad where he pulls out the little pendant and is all like i am a follower of horus i i i am one of the few who truly believe and then um teal and jonas just basically go in and be like oh yeah yeah he's totally he's totally uh uh, worshiping a false god and told yeah that's and that, that that must be how this is actually happening and like talking like he's not in the room and then the dude is all like oh yeah totally false god right on okay so here's how we're going to go to the desert and it's like wait you just blew apart his worldview and here we go with a shovel like <laughs> like anyway so um just so just golly there was just so much and i think that half of the reason why it felt frustrating when I got to the end of it, which if you weren't sure where I was going, the are, short are answer is frustrated? frustrated. A little bit frustrated. Okay. The, the yeah. There was a lot of attention put into the visuals on this episode. Mm-hmm. And why am I pointing that out in particular? It's, it's because you can kind of get a sense whenever a production is actually proud of the story that it's about to tell by how much time they put into the visuals. Sometimes, sometimes they just do a great job with a little tiny bit and you just, you're none the wiser. And you know, the amount of work that they put into the visuals was like nothing. And you're just, you're just, you're just there for it. You're just along for the ride. Other times you can totally tell that they just put a little bit of effort into the visuals. Quick example, the Sentinel, like what was up with that flame thing in the table? Like when the flame goes out, then the Sentinel is going to bake us a pie. Like they, they just got a burner and turned it on (laughs) and they were like, all right, that's good enough. Um, you know, <laughs> gesture to that, and that'll be the symbol. You know, instead of like coming up with anything else, they just kind of mailed it in. Um, there was a lot of richness to the visual in- information in this episode. Um, like they took time to sell the notion that those pieces of styrofoam that they were hucking around when uncovering the gate were like big, heavy stones. They took the time to, um, like come up with a motif, like a visual style for this uh, group of aliens. They took the time to go get different camo gear uh, and have them roll in with that. They took the time to use actual like military vehicle. Like they were taking time to actually make it feel whole. They took the time to make all those CG renders of the city where you see that exact same shot of the monorail coming at you three Mm -hmm. times. Um, Like, like they were, they, there was a lot of effort. They took the time to like really make a rich scene with the library, um, right? Like there was all this work that was put into telling me information, but it was just like 
condensed versions of the information, just the just the absolute minimum amount of information necessary for this story to keep moving so that we start from the position of the Prometheus is going on a shakedown cruise and we end with um, we've just had this engagement with a world that we never intended to, to interact with at all. And this is like our first off world contact where we didn't have access to a gate, but yet we still did have access to a gate like um, and, and we introduced a bunch of characters. We introduced a, a bunch of characters and we, we we put them into positions which we are supposed to care about, mostly the officers on the bridge of the Prometheus. Like, I've never seen any of these yahoos in my life, and yet somehow I'm supposed to believe that there's some kind of rapport between the two colonels? Now, I believe it. They sold it. But, like, I don't know. Now I guess I have to... Now, now I got a new colonel here that I got to be thinking about, and that's okay, but, like, like it really just kind of came out of nowhere. And... Uh, same thing with the bridge officers. Like I could tell that um, Gant, like they were just kind of setting up her character in a way that she's going to be around a bit, or at least that's what it's giving me a strong signal about. Like they're having conversations about something. They're problem solving together in a way that um, typically happens with a character that you're hoping to set up and re- have, have recurring. At least that's kind of my my interpretation of the thing. And but again, I mean, it just happened really fast and it came out and like there was no development. It just was. And and so as a story, this episode was incredibly dissatisfying. Um, this was not a good story at all. Uh, there, 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 there nominally is a beginning, middle and an end. But there's there's like it, it really did feel like a like a newspaper article. This happened, then this happened, then that happened, then that happened, then this. And our heroes came out. OK, hooray. Um, even the inspiring speech at the end was uh, well delivered and it was well written, but nothing had happened in the framing of that episode that make that emotional punch land with me at all. Um, and it's not because the acting was poor because it wasn't. And it's not because the writing was poor because that wasn't. And it's not because the directing was poor because that wasn't. But there was just zero time spent trying to develop some kind of an emotional hook that needed to mature in the 30 minutes, 35 minutes prior so that when he got up and started talking to people and convincing them to put down their weapons that I, as the viewer would be like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, totally. Everybody. Yes. We should totally be putting down our weapons. Yes. Uh, You know, instead it was just a guy that was excited that, aliens landed and and but didn't seem to have any of that awe or wonderstruck or anything and he had a person in his government who was against him and that's sensible but it felt sanitized somehow and then we get to a spot where it's it's the the, the two people are standing off technically and um you know the, the uh, words win the day which is a a theme that writers love to say and like there we go the end we 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 Everybody's happy. Everybody's fine. Um, and we're back at home and we're going to fix the Prometheus and we're going to bring that thing back too. And maybe I'll see these these people again. Maybe I won't. But the way that they rushed through so much of it, it's like, I better see these people again. Like, I better have this episode be sort of like a launching point to a big arc. Otherwise, what the heck was this? 
So I don't really don't know where to feel. Now, when we give ratings, I'm going to give you the ratings as I felt what I, immediately after I watched the episode. That's my rule. Um, but like, I'm really hoping that in our conversation, Zach, like you let me know somehow without really kind of spoiling a whole lot, like this one mattered because of whatever reason. Because otherwise, this was a this was a strange one. They spent way too much time and effort to make something that it was like a Wikipedia article. I mean, it was it was amazingly unsubstantial. So, okay. Uh, there's, there's, there's my main take. What, how about you? What do you think about this episode? <laughs> so let me start with the things I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually liked how the episode began. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked, and I was engaged in the episode basically all the way until they get out of hyperspace. They, they, they fall out of hyperspace the first time. Right. Sure. Yes. Um, I was engaged in this story. Um, I liked that. Uh, the visuals of the ship uh, was really good. Um, you know, the, the special effects and, and just the way... I mean, like, the set for the Prometheus is just this giant oval, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that's, they just have to go round and round in this oval when they're walking through the halls of, of the Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they turned that into this giant ship is really quite fascinating. Wonderful. Um, I like the way that they spent time on the planet Tegria to with with the the set and the the props and the decorations mm-hmm. to make it feel like it was this similar but different culture to ours, mm-hmm. right? It it felt like something that. Like it wasn't just a bunch of guys in some, you know, silver lame and 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 you know and right, you know, right. random generic space hucking styrofoam rocks at each right. other in you a know, quarry. No, right. There yeah. there there was something uh, I mean it was there was a style to their their uniforms, a style to their outfits that matched, that looked like there was uh, like a cultural intention behind that, yeah. somewhere. That's right. Right. I like that. Uh, th- those little bits of attention to detail, um, uh, really enhanced the the story and enhanced the uh, the experience of watching this episode. Um, I liked the fact that they went to this planet that kind of had a reverse thing on it. Normally, they go to a planet. And they're all like, oh, the, the great Chapa Eye, the great oh, yeah, gods yeah. and all of this stuff. And they're all like, uh, dude, uh, false gods and all of this stuff, you know, you should maybe, uh, you know. And so this whole thing was turned on its head where they go to this planet that is, you know, technologically on par with us-ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, who knows exactly. Yeah. Um, if it had come to blows, it would not have been pretty for anybody. No, right. Um, you know, which is rare. We haven't seen that very often, um, so I like that. And then the fact that that they had to, um, they had to kind of engage the past in a way completely differently, so that they could find what they needed and all of that stuff. You know, I like that. Mm-hmm. That was a good little bit there. Um, the whole idea of the lost history, right? Some sort of cataclysm happening, and the the culture tries to eliminate entirely 
uh, any trace of what was before. Mm-hmm. That's actually really fascinating. Um, and and would be really cool to dig into all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I liked about this episode. But it was at least, it needed at least two episodes. Yeah. Because we needed an episode that was the shakedown of the ship. That, you know, if, if the shakedown of the ship strands them on this planet, that's perfectly fine. Don't have a problem with that at all. Um, but... There, there was very little tension in the story as it was displayed for getting them to a place where they are not stranded in the middle of nowhere. I, I stick a pin in that. I think that tension is the problem, capital P problem of this episode. So, okay. So, um, and then the, the second half of the story uh, turns into a diplomatic story. Mm-hmm. Um, and a fascinating story of inviting people to engage with whatever history they can find. And apparently, and this is not unsurprisingly, that anybody who tried to systematically erase the history uh, never seems to get all of it. Mm-hmm. And some people have found pieces of it. That's kind of cool. That could have easily been developed into its own story. But instead, we get both of these things that are just smashed together. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither one of them is really fleshed out. Uh, and, you know, you just got to live with that. You got to... There it is. And so you get to the, the, the final scene. Um, like, I don't care. I mean, was that a great speech? It was. It was a wonderful speech. Was mm-hmm. it delivered well by Foxworth? Yeah. He mm-hmm. did a great job of that, 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 that baritone voice he's got, that, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. The, the gravitas and the power he's got in that. You know, he does it great. But I don't care who you are. Without something more happening, it is simply impossible for me to believe that especially... Calphus's right-hand man, who up to this point has been nameless and hasn't spoken a word, but he's right there next to Calphus, which means that Calphus trusts him with some Mm -hmm. significance. Because Calphus is smart enough, and we learned this, right? I believe this. Calphus is smart enough. Uh, you know, he's not just simply a, a, a mustache-twirling bad guy. He is an antagonist, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Definitely mm-hmm. he's an antagonist. And we kind of perceive him to be in the wrong in this situation. But he's not a dumb guy. Right. And everything in the episode points to the fact that this is not a dumb guy. He's a smart guy. He has a legitimate position. He acts on it. Now, is it the right position to be in? Well, no. But... But this is not a guy who would have a guy at his right hand who would, after one rousing speech from the, the president, the councilman, who nobody knew for sure whether he had it in him, especially him, would be convinced by that. Mm-hmm. That's not how human brains work. Right. Now, right. You know, could the mooks in the background who, you know, maybe they didn't have the same type of loyalty, the same type of, uh, 
you know, zeal for the cause, whatever that is, maybe they were convinced and maybe they, you know, acted. I could buy that. But I have a hard time believing without anything else that that right-hand man would have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you could have told me a story and even had just a simple scene between Kalfus and that one guy where that one mm-hmm. guy says, you know, boss, is this really the right thing to do? I mean, right. I think it is, but maybe it's not. Maybe there's something to this. And Kalfus says, no, trust me, this really is the right thing to do. And if this doesn't happen, X, Y, and Z will go on. Mm-hmm. A scene like that would then, when uh, Ashwan gives his speech, be enough to tell me like, oh, okay, I could buy it then. This guy had something, some doubt, some, some concern. He was loyal to Kalfus, but there's something there that with that speech would push him over the edge and says, oh, maybe we should come at this from a different angle. And so I'm going to take my, my buddy into custody. I needed something there and I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so you had two parts of this episode that could have been fleshed out a little bit and been exciting episodes and they would have been fine. A um, couple things that I know about this episode is the, the, the impetus for this episode is, so we need to have an episode that shows the Prometheus again. Because we haven't seen it since Prometheus Unbound, when it was first revealed. We need another episode. Mm-hmm. So, okay, here's your episode with the Prometheus. Woohoo! Yay. Um, that's why it was written. Um, interestingly, Wait. and I don't know how this affects mm-hmm. my opinion of it, but uh, um, certainly when this episode was first written, uh, they weren't confirmed for a season seven yet. Okay. Um, uh, and even when uh, uh, Peter DeLuise was directing this episode, it wasn't certain for him that there was going to be a season seven um, because his wife came and kind of gave him some balloons and, you know, a going away, you know, kind of party because this would have been his last episode and he would have, you know, he was planning originally to just depart because he's not directing any of the other episodes this season mm-hmm, so this mm-hmm. would have been his last episode and if the season the show series is canceled he would have done this said goodbye and left yep now you know we have heard now that uh um the show we've you know the show obviously continues um now that will say that there were plans to have um some made for tv movies following mm-hmm. the series mm-hmm um, and they did have in their plans for those uh, made-for-TV movies to have the Prometheus as a piece of it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if that's the case, then obviously you need an episode here as season six wears, uh, da- winds down to uh, highlight the Prometheus in a way more than, oh, look, we have a almost finished but not quite finished ship. I, okay, I'm sticking a pin in that one. So all of this is happening, and so as a result, then we have this episode to there. Um, done. Uh, that 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 that's that's what I got. 
So, as you were talking about it, and so I wanted to come back to the pin of, of tension being the problem. Um, okay. I'll uh, I'll say I'll 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 wave my hands in a grand gesture and speak uh, as if I can speak on behalf of all humankind. Please um, do. The reason that we the reason we like stories is because it manages tension. The reason we like comedy as uh, oh man, I can't remember that comedian's name. Oh, she had a special on Netflix. Nanette was a special. I can't remember. Anyway, um, there comedy works because it a masterful comedian manages the tension in the room, builds the tension, builds the tension, builds the tension, releases it, and in the release we find joy. And humor is a way of releasing the tension. So some of the best jokes build that tension up a lot. And there's all sorts of different ways to do building of the, you know, to build up the tension and then you release it and it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. And, and, and we, and we laugh heartily and we have just a wonderful time with it. And stories are the exact same. The only reason we care about a story is that the tension is being managed. And then the only way we are satisfied with a story is that the tension is resolved. Sometimes the tension's resolved in a way that we're not happy about but it's still resolved or there are meta methods of enjoying the management of the tension. For example, why does Brent like the episode Bane so much? Why does our friend Justin like the uh, movie uh, Manos Hands of Fate so much? Um, It's because we are spending time engaged in the tension of what the heck is this crew doing? Like, it's not about the story. Now the meta enjoyment of the tension is trying to figure out just where the heck they take this thing because right now it's a train wreck. Um, right. Uh, I felt similarly with, um, oh boy, oh shoot, I just had it and then it escaped me. Um, something that was a train wreck and uh, oh, whatever. Anyway, I, 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 the, the point is though that we enjoy, sometimes we enjoy things that are counterintuitive because the story itself is actually terrible, but we are finding enjoyment not, no longer in the story itself. We are finding enjoyment in watching the um, people responsible for the telling of the story get themselves through it. And then it, when they when they stumble across the line and technically the story is over and this, this this flaming pile of trash behind them is just burning off in the distance, we applaud because we're like, you did it. You got through it. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> the tension's been released and it's been resolved. This show, this episode had next to nothing in the form of tension at all. Every time that something was introduced as a problem, it was overcome almost immediately. And it was in service of setting up the next problem because that's also what stories do is that they'll give you a little bit of a problem with a little bit of a solution, but it happens to set up the next problem with a little bit of a solution, which sets up the next problem with a little bit of solution. And so then by the time you get to the end of the story, you've, uh, addressed and resolved all these tensions, all these problems along the way so that when you land at the end, you feel accomplished that there has been this journey taken, that there's been these moments of development, of growth, of, of, um, 
uh, you know, of astonishment or bereavement or joy or, you know, there's all these things that we like to wrestle with, but it has to come within the mechanic of introducing a problem, resolving it to a degree, introducing a problem, resolving it and building up to some master tension, some mm-hmm. meta tension, and then resolving it. We've been crafting story for quite a while. Storytelling is an ancient, ancient art. Story writing is a less ancient art that is much more refined in the more recent past than in the deep past. Um, But this episode, why was I feeling dissatisfied? It's because every single time there was a problem that was resolved within seconds. Every one of them. Every one of them. And even the meta arc the big one, the big problem, what's going to happen to our, to our, to our crew. It just felt like the problems kept falling down in front of them. Like just, just, just like, I don't know, something that falls down easy. Um, <laughs> right. I know I'm really eloquent right now, uh, but like nothing got in their way. Even the things that were supposed to get in their way, didn't get in their way. Everything was resolved. Just one thing after the next, after the next, the most tense moment was the missiles. That was at the beginning. And like, I think it looks like this, as you mentioned, was like trying to be a two-parter, but it couldn't be a two-parter. And it's really unfortunate because they definitely did not write it as if it was going to be two episodes. It was You could just kind of sense that it was written to be one thing. Like there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of, of evidence at all that this was actually two, two episodes getting smushed into one. Right. But... Man, they should have just spent an episode on the Prometheus. You know what you could have done in an episode on the Prometheus? You could have done a shakedown cruise with this entirely different group of people that we don't know. And sure, you can show some rapport on screen, but I don't know it. Me, the viewer. I need to know it. And I am not a resource that gets tapped. Bringing me to my second one. I don't need to see the Prometheus made up nice and pretty for your TV movie. Guess what you can do in minute two of your TV movie? Well, we got the Prometheus fixed, and then we're there. We're, we're there. <laughs> Off we go. I am not a resource to be exploited. So don't feed me a stupid 43-minute show because you think I got to see the Prometheus half-built, or else I'll never believe it for a TV movie. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, so you could spend an episode with letting me the invested viewer feel like this ship is actually worth caring about. Cause right now I don't flip and care. It's a big giant boat. It's a boat that looks like a dong. Like it's just a prop right now. There's nothing to care about. It's not the enterprise. It's not the Battlestar Galactica. It's just a big giant prop. I don't care about this thing yet. So spend some time making me care. That's what a good story will do. While you're at it, go ahead and add some tension with this crew that I have no idea about. I want to see you resolve something together so that later when I see these characters again, I'm like, these are the good guys that, that we did something awesome with that one time. Right now, I got nothing. Right? You could have an entire episode that ends with the core getting ejected over the planet, Kablooey. It looks like a war act. And now we're leading into episode two, which would be awesome. How do you now deal with the political fallout of accidentally looking like you're blowing up a planet? That would have been cool. And you could have had a whole nother episode that would have been built perfectly. It's a completely different episode. It's a political intrigue episode. You can basically have the Prometheus written out of it for all intents and purposes. Sure, you had it in there at the end. Whoop-de-doo. We have your 6SG1, one of the worthless lines of all television. Like, um, 
you don't you don't get your six with a bunch of people with a battleship for crying out loud. Anyway, um, and you can have an entirely wonderful episode of political intrigue and dealing with the mechanizations. You were mentioning it. Like, what do you deal with a society that says, you know, what we hate we hate our past. It's gone. And how do you then re-engage them? The library scene was like kind of clever ish, sort of, but it also resolved way too fast. Like they got a map with instructions. The next scene is them standing in a desert next to two stone pillars and going, it should be right here. The next scene was them literally digging it out with shovels. It's six inches underground. <laughs> it's like right there. This thing was not burdensome. This was no, this was this was every problem was solved way too easily. And you could have done so much with it. Like, I feel, I can't remember what the episode was a little bit ago where I was really mad about that one because they had a really, really good question that they just didn't explore well at all. And I just creamed it. Like, I hated that episode. And it was because I wanted them to explore the topic more deeply and I knew they could. And they didn't. So then why on earth would I watch it? So I'm feeling kind of similarly to this one. I feel almost disrespected as a viewer on this one. Not not really, not like super deeply, but it's like, what? What? what do, do, I mean, at this point, is it just a paycheck to y'all right now? Like, this is a really, really good television show. You're exploring some really good topics. You've got an excellent cast and crew. Like, this is this is a really good show. You can do good every time. Like, every time you can nail it out of the park. Maybe sometimes you don't necessarily get it all the way over the fence. But, man, you can cream that ball every time. What are you doing feeding me this? Because you think I got to see a sh- an episode with the boat made? Give me a break. All right. So uh, those are my pins. So, Brent. <laughs> yeah. This may well have been your most epic rant in this entire podcast so far. <laughs> are you sure? I've had a couple. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. But this one's a pretty epic one. I mean... <laughs> Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's because, I, like I mentioned, they did they did they spent a lot of time making like the big clue for me was the visual information. Like I said, they spent a lot of time trying to make this thing look believable, like a lot of it, and it did. And boy, am I interested! I want to know all sorts of stuff about this. I want to know more about the ship. I want to know more about this culture, and it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know the things like. Finding the Stargate a very, very quickly, finding the Stargate just a few inches below the surface, uh, you know, wiping away the cover stone and finding precisely the words that you need to confirm that this is exactly what you're yes. looking for. That's not yes. how archaeology works, but that's no. beside the point. Uh, those things could be forgiven if there was greater tension throughout the rest of it and there was a greater uh, richness and depth of story being told. Um, you know, so like what I saw, what I experienced is everything in that digging out the Stargate happened so ridiculously easy because we had 43 minutes yes. and, and we were down to 12 minutes left and we just needed to move fast. Yep. Um. And so it was, well, let's just, you know, hand which, wave it. At which point, why, why you spent 90 seconds with a montage of lifting the gate? Like, if time was so precious, why did you do that? Anyway. Because it looked pretty. It, it sure did, but man, uh, anyway. All right. 
I think it is time. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I am certain that no. nothing more can be said about this episode that will change no. your rating. No, no, it won't. No. And I'm no, curious as to how many chevrons you're going to give this episode. All right. So I was not as mad after watching this episode than I am talking about it right now. I'm upset now because, um, because I was, I'm finally able to kind of put all the pieces together. And I think I, I think I said it when I was, like I said, I'm feeling disrespected as a viewer, not because they set out to do something and just, just use me, but more like there, there's something about this episode where they, they cared about it a lot here, but they didn't care a lot about it there. And as a result, it's feeling almost bureaucratic. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we do now. Like, we, we make sets and we tell a story and we film it and we put it in a can and we put it out to, to sci-fi and they air it. Like, this is, this is the job as opposed to the art. And I said I was going to stick with my rating that I, that I felt with after I watched it. And I think that's important because I'm going to give this one a three out of seven. There's nothing in this story that went well except for that everything was fine except that it wasn't done in any good way except that there was a lot of interesting pieces except that none of it was explained well except that it was kind of explained well but it was explained really poorly in the the form of it was too fast but you kind of had to get through because you only had 43 minutes but like like there was so much conflict in this thing that wasn't good conflict it wasn't a part of the actual story there was next to nothing that felt like story it just felt like information i said it like at the beginning book report of a movie right like this is what happened in stargate sg1 memento the sg1 team travel on the prometheus to a plant right like it just it was just bleh. so if if i had let this conversation influence my vibe i'd be down into the twos i mean like maybe even a one like it's like come on come on you had a great idea here you had two of them you had two really really good ideas and you had a natural two-parter right here bang one on the ship one on the planet they would have tied in beautifully together. They would have almost felt episodic, almost, except that you'd have a cliffhanger at the end of the first one. Like somebody could walk into the second one and not have seen the first one and they'd still be like, it would work, but they didn't do it. So eh. be thankful I'm giving my three Stargate. Shake my angry finger. All right. So what about you? <laughs> okay. What do you give so, this one? Um, I 100% agree with you that this episode would have worked better as two episodes. Um, Unfortunately, in 2003, that's just a little bit too early for that type of episodic, non-episodic storytelling. Sure. Um, But, uh, so, I have never held this episode in high regard (laughs) in the past. I remember watching it yesterday, and I said to Julie, who about halfway through walked off and did something else because she got bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and, and then, you know, later on when I said, well, I have to watch the episode with the commentary and all that stuff. She says, well, you can do that. I ain't doing that. <laughs> it was hard enough. I couldn't even get through the regular one. <laughs> but I do remember after watching it this time that I'm like, this isn't as bad as I remember it being. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we talk about it, and then I'm like, you know, and then we start piecing it apart and, and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, 
It is as bad as I remember it being. Y- yeah. Um, I think that I am going to give this a three as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. It's not quite fair for this episode to lampoon it and give it the the uh, a one or even a two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really can't justify it giving it anything better than a three either. So yeah. So that's where I'm going to sit. Three. I think that there are a lot of good... It's like we went to a good grocery store and we got some really good quality stuff. Like real good quality. All the way down the line. Really, really, really good quality everything. And then we just like hucked it in a pot at like high temp and like burned it within 15 minutes and then called it dinner. Like... (laughs) Like it's it, like there's a lot in here that's actually really quite quite good. It's just that right the, the, the togetherness that is this story is just not good at all. Right. The uh, the sum of the parts is not greater than the parts. Yeah, and we've ruined a couple parts by accident. Yep. All right. We have predictions. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you want to start with uh, Twitter or do you want to start with Facebook? No, I, I got the Twitter. Or at least, yeah. Wait a minute. There's a lot of notifications here. Holy cow. Okay. Here we go. Okay. We've got Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. I think that... Wait, what am I supposed to be doing again? Suddenly, I can't remember. Guess I'll head over to Facebook and try to remember. Oh, you are a stinker. <laughs> you are a stinker. Um, I have I Kevin's response. It. Do you want to read it? You want me to read uh, it? Y- yes, because that's the only thing we got on Twitter. Okay, yes, All go right. for it. Here we go. Here's Kevin. Kevin says, "Hi Brent. Hi Zach. Hi Kevin. This isn't one of this isn't this one isn't the best, but hey, the X three o three is in action. Kind of. Uh, this episode did bring several thoughts into my mind, though. One, I didn't see anyone wearing a GDO." Sure hope someone has a spare one lying around somewhere, or no we don't kidding. have an episode next week. <laughs> <laughs> thunk, 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 thunk. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, no kidding. Oh, man. Number, that's, that's astute. Yeah. Number two. How do the DHDs connect to the Stargate? Is it Wi-Fi? Bluetooth? Yeah. I'm I, going right. with Bluetooth. Yeah, Bluetooth. All right, number three. Would the entire crew have just died if SG-1 wasn't on board for the test run? Well, that's entirely possible because Ronson was all about, my ship, it's my ship, and I can't with you. And if SG-1 hadn't been there to say, dude, we have to talk to these people, we have to make nice with these people, or we're screwed... I, I, I'm I'm with you, Kevin. There you go. And number four, O'Neill O'Neill as the diplomat. Yeah, which sounds weird. When someone offers the clues you need to find the Stargate, maybe wait until after you find it to tell him his god is an alien dictator who enslaves yes! people. <laughs> At least they didn't mention he's dead. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that too. Oh yeah, we totally killed him. Uh, or uh, no, uh, Apophis killed. Him. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, "Oh yeah, predictions, right?" So um, I'll say it, a four from Brent, just because yeah. something something toast, and a three point five from Zach. 
<laughs> now, for yeah. you to know, um, as I was preparing to put this on Facebook, I couldn't think of anything to say. So I'm like, something, something, kind of witty, something, something, predictions, comments, chevrons, something. <laughs> oh, and Prometheus. Yes. So. Yes. Th- that's okay. I made a, I made a memento joke from about the movie. Ah, well, there you go. You know. So that was Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. We have Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Kimberly says, I predict that although Brent did not burn his toast this morning, this episode will not prove to be one that stands out for him. Mm-hmm. I think Zach will feel that it's a middling episode, especially uh, with... Yep. So, the end predictions are a three for Brent... Yes. And a three and a half from me. Oh, 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 oh. oh Kimberly. Yes. Kimberly, oh, I, think, so close. I think you got, I mean, you you gave me that extra half Chevron. I understand that, but I think you got it. I mean, the you were definitely in the right ballpark there. 100%. The gist was cor- 100% correct. Yeah, exactly. All right. And we have Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says, given that I could not recall this episode at all based on a written summary, I assume the title is meant to be ironic. It feels kind of like a failed backdoor pilot for a Prometheus spinoff series. Space damage lands the team on a planet that just happens to have a Stargate somewhere, maybe blah, blah, planetary politics, blah, 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 gaps in the historical record. Fortunately, Professor No Reaction to Calling Scott a Phony is happy to help. Is that seriously like one of the one of the moments of Stargate that's probably the worst? He literally pulls out a like, oh, we are a secret society who deeply worship the. Oh, he's dead. Oh, well, he didn't learn that part, but whatever. Like, yeah, he just totally rolled with it. Totally yeah. rolled with it. Yeah. Uh, they go on. If only it were so easy to locate an archaeological site based on a nah. single surviving document. Blah blah blah. Rousing speech. The data saved. Hooray. Hooray. Yes, precisely. <laughs> and Rowan, you would know as an archaeologist. Like, uh huh. It's like I'm not even an archaeologist. Have I studied archaeology a little bit? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's it's right here next to that ruin and this ruin. Oh, how convenient. You know, so I mean, basically, what we saw was the equivalent of an ancient civilization that does not know what GPS is saying. It's at forty three degrees north yes. and 30 <laughs> degrees you know longitude oh <laughs> well, like, they are heroes i guess yeah all right rowan continues mm-hmm. a four from brent and a three from mm-hmm. zach and a yep. three from me for a mediocre planet of the week episode which only serves to advance the prometheus plot arc slightly Barely. This episode has been rated 8.0 on IMDb, which is a 5 on my IMDb to Chevron rating conversion scale, putting it in the top half of Stargate episodes overall. I cannot believe viewers gave this one and the Changeling the same rating criminal. Yeah, that is criminal. And like I just said under my breath, you know what? The Internet's wrong. There we go. There you go. Uh, I Yeah. No. No, yeah. Nope. Mm-hmm. So, um, let me check one more place on Facebook to see if anything else, because Facebook is weird and sometimes things get put here and sometimes things get put there. And well, that's because the algorithm really wants you to see that ad for Weber Grills and, uh, you know, the new album from 
Gnarls Barkley. Yeah. I wish. Okay, so I think that those are all of my Facebook stuff, but we do have emails, and we have a whole slew of emails, Brent. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Yes, let's get All right, we're going to start with Stuart. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Stuart. If it's a sci-fi show from the late 90s or early 2000s with Robert Foxworth, the military coup must be in the works. (laughs) And this episode doesn't break the trend. Decent story for the most part, and it's nice to see the Prometheus in action, even if it doesn't carry any spare parts. <laughs> right. I think Zach gives this one a five, and Brent gives it a Ooh. six due to the final what? showdown between fear and ignorance on the one hand and hope, trust, and knowledge on the other. Decent retort. Decent retort. You are right. Normally, that's my bread and butter. No doubt. Uh, it didn't hold enough power, but yes, I get what you're saying. Yeah, uh, you know, I I liked where it was going with that fear and ignorance and, you know, hope, trust, and such. I, I liked mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And you see that in different spheres with uh, between uh, Ronson and O'Neill, and then with Ashwan and Kalpis, and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, it, it doesn't pay off for me. Yeah, I, I, it, it would have been wonderful if they had managed the tension. No kidding. I mean, you did. That's a good point. It's a motif. But you should have managed the tension between O'Neill and whatever his name is. And um, the other two guys, oh God, I can't remember the names. Um, but that's my point. Like, like, if you had spent 40 minutes building that tension and then having the payoff be that speech at the end, which then where hope and trust save the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yep. I'd, have, I'd have eaten that up with a spoon. So I think that's probably why um, when I finished watching it last night, I'm like, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, because that final speech is, I mean, by itself, the speech itself is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has some good punch to it. Um, it just, I just don't buy that it falls on the second in command of the coup to change his ways. Um, I mean, yeah, we didn't, so. we didn't, it, the, it, the tension was not managed. Yeah, that's right. All right. We have an email from Susan. Hi, Susan. I enjoyed this episode. RDA at his best playing an annoyed Jack doing mm-hmm. damage control with the ever patient SG one mm-hmm. at his side, providing solutions that I will hundred percent agree with his conflict with Colonel Ronson was a nice parallel with his kindred spirit uh, councilman Ashwan conflict with Commander Kalfas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I also can appreciate some of the dialogue between Kalfas and Ronson as they were, you know, um, yeah. You know, I mean, it was good. Uh, it, it was annoying because you're like, oh, come on, stop posturing, you jerks. But, mm-hmm. but they did it well, and it was acted well. Yeah, okay. Uh, she continues... I think Jack helped make him stronger in his resolve to lead and enlighten his people. Jack made Mm -hmm. Ashwan stronger. Yep. Yep. I have loved Robert Foxworth ever since his Falcon Crest days and thought he was excellent in this episode. I will 100% agree with you there, although I never saw Falcon Crest. I liked the steampunk technology, the search for the Tigrian's history, and the barbecue. Yep. Okay. Yes. Was that meatloaf (laughs) they served? I think it was supposed to be like Salisbury steak and potatoes and peas. <laughs> like frozen Salisbury steak, right? Yes, right? that's right. <laughs> frozen millions of years ago. 
All right. Uh, I got nostalgic when they pulled up the cover stones and raised the Stargate. Yes. Uh-huh. I, 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 yep. The scene was a nice callback to the feature film, which premiered 27 years ago this past October 28th. Oh, hey. Hey. Nice. That was like three days, two days ago. That's right. Two days ago. Um, Susan gives this a six and thinks that you will give it a wow. five and I will give wow. it a five and a half. Wow. No, but man. Now, when you did mumble, 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 was there? Okay, no, 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 okay, no, no, okay. I will, I will say a thing, but Zach, you cannot react to this one. I will say that when you were mumble, 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 kind of reading things that you shouldn't tell me, which is fine. That, and I mentioned this before. I want this episode to matter. I want this information to come back. I want this episode to be something that results in a foundation for something else. And maybe not like a one-for-one, one, like how the Replicators became a major story arc early, and maybe they still will be, but whatever, you know what I'm saying. Um, like, I don't need every piece of this thing to come back, but they spent a lot of time trying to make this episode a good one. Um, so many pieces about this were had such care put into it that it's a, it would be a shame if this is literally it. Like, the, if this is it. So, there you go. There's my piece. The end. Um... So I can see how, sorry, that was my piece. I can see how, if I'm right, how someone would look back on this episode more fondly. So there we go. That's my piece. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll give you this, Brent. I don't think this episode matters one bit. Ah, dang it. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, uh, if I recall yeah, right. correctly, the next time we see the Prometheus, there is a throwaway line about how they're finally back from the Tigrian planet. And yay, gotcha. everything is good. And that's about the end of it. So mm, that's unfortunate. Sorry. Okay. All right. All right. We have an email from Dan. Hi, Dan. Dan says, I would apologize for missing Changeling, an episode I really enjoy, but I got to play race car for the weekend. I live around Indianapolis, so many okay. hours at the track two weeks ago. See attached pictures. He's got several pictures. Ooh, you can see nice. Uh, Dan, if you want to show those to the rest of the Stargate community, you are welcome to do that on Facebook or Discord or wherever. Um, yep. But I'm not going to post your pictures. Uh, I'll let you do that. Glad you guys enjoyed this episode two. The episode two. Talking about the change. Hmm. Now, yeah. on to Memento. Let's see where to begin. It's a fun episode, but there's some serious pros and cons here. I love the fact that this episode deals with one of the major plot holes of the series. What if they arrive on a planet with no way of getting home? Mm -hmm. I know we've dealt with this before in other ways, but I like the angle of having a problem with the ship to start the issue. I really don't care for Ronson, too lacking in depth, like he's so one-dimensional it's laughable. Add in the way he talks, his inflection, he just irritates me to no end. Kalfus is the other side of the same coin. He's so paranoid, it's just hitting the mm. same note over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I do like seeing Robert Foxworth as a good guy for a change. I know he <laughs> was the voice of Ratchet in Transformers, but he was only doing voice work. To me, he will always be a change thing a la DS9's Homefront Paradise Lost, season four, mid-season two-parter. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That actually, by the way, I actually really like those episodes in Deep Six Nine. I think they're really, good, really, really good. And he's a great actor in that as well. Mm -hmm. Lessons to be learned: one, German camouflage is available at the Intergalactic Gift Shop for the low, <laughs> low price of forty nine ninety five. Yep, yep, it's in the duty free section. Indeed. Number two, 
Cadillac armored vehicle vehicles are also available, but are a little more expensive. <laughs> I did not know General Motors had such a reach. Ah, but now you do. Number three, mm-hmm. I agree with Jack. The weapons officer should already be prepared. Yes. Yes. Yep. Number four, Tilk is prepared to assist in damage control efforts. No need for melodrama. No. See that? No, no, yeah, no need for melodrama. Number five, always carry redundant light bulbs. And no extra, kidding. Whatchamacallit, stewdads, thingamabobs, and whatsits. Perhaps and if you can't some, of, carry an ex- some sort of oh, redundancy would be in order. Yes. Here's yeah. one thing, is that Carter would have known better. Yes. Now, Carter may have gotten overruled. Yes. And Carter was like, dude, we need to have another one of these. At least one. And they would have been saying like, no, 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 this is the unsinkable Titanic. We don't actually need enough lifeboats for everybody. What are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, But, you know, she is smart enough to know. And, yeah. All right. Number six. And barbecues. Always pack a grill when going off-world. Yep. You never know when you're going to need it. Indeed. Number seven. When Alien A comes to your world asking about Alien B's technology, try looking around. They haven't flown all this way just for a barbecue. (laughs) Yeah. Number eight. Phew, this is a long list. Balloons are more dangerous than spaceships. Always build balloon garrisons instead of spaceships when playing Civilization. If only those were options, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet if you could put a gun on a balloon in Civ. Yeah, I could see the, the definite advantages. All right. He goes- You'd only fire it once, though. <laughs> and then it would just flop around for a while. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Dan continues. As I said earlier, this is a good episode. I will say this. I know I had gripes earlier, but most of my problems are about the actors, not the story. I'll put this on a 5.75. Don't ask me. I'm guessing a 6 from Brent and a 6 from Zach. Mm. I'm hoping they enjoy this as much as I do. Yikes. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. (laughs) Um, I while I will acknowledge that some of the two dim- the same one dimensionality of like some of these characters uh, is there. I had more issues with the story than I did with the acting. Yep. All right. Yep. We have Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. Um, as soon as I finish this email, I'll listen to your episode on Changeling, and I've essentially caught up. Congratulations, ah, Lydia Ann. Nice. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the now. Yep. That's why we take weeks off so that people That's who are right. trying so to catch, can up catch up can catch up. <laughs> All right. She continues. The memento. The Netflix blurb, blurb is something to the effect of O'Neill is miffed when he has to supervise the shakedown crews of the Prometheus. It covers the cold open, but it also stretch stretches to fit the A plot O'Neill usually portrays the role of risk-averse skeptic, but not this time. He's forced to be a moderating diplomatic presence, but there's not enough room for anything more than quippy, quirky O'Neill, which limits development. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. The B-plot of Teal'c and Jonas's buddy archaeological adventure is also fun to watch, but I wanted more development of how people w- people choose to record history and then engage mm-hmm. in that history. Yes! I wanted more of that, too. Yelp. I think this should have been two different episodes. Yelp. Yep. I'll give it a 3.5. It's fun to watch, Ooh, but not yep. memorable. Brent will give it a 3 for underdeveloped Ooh. ideas. Zach yes. gives it a 4 Whoa. for incremental development oh. in Prometheus technology. Super close. Super duper close. And for the right reasons, too. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Um, you know, if... You know, I, I may have leaned towards a four in my rating. I'm going to stand by my three. Mm-hmm. Because before, you know, I wouldn't have given this much more than a three prior to rewatching this. And mm-hmm. I felt, you know, better yesterday. So I might have gotten a four. But then we talked and then I'm like, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, that three is the best place to be. And then my, 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 my sour attitude just came in and is all like. That's like terrible. No, it, it, it's not your sour attitude. It was just me parsing out my thoughts about this episode. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we have David. Hi, David. David has a Prometheus hyperspace virus buffer. Does, does it stop short? Uh, no, it, but he does ask if it's a thing. A hyperspace bias buffer? No, that's kind of dumb. Kind of like this episode. Uh, well at least his bias buffer had a spare part so they can keep the journey going hey there you go Mm -hmm. it seems like i've seen this episode before i mean i know i have but it's more like it's taken plot elements from prior episodes and mashed them up Mm -hmm. sg1 needs to help needs help from the inhabitants of a planet two groups one will help one who wants nothing to do with sg1 Mm -hmm. the stargate is a myth to the people some people mm-hmm. still follow the old ways in secret. Mm-hmm. The people now have to face the truth of their history. Mm-hmm. The big difference was how SG-1 got to the planet. That part was cool, but the rest of the episode mm-hmm. was just, okay, not bad, fun to watch at times, but overall just yeah. more of the same. At least we got to see some of the Prometheus. Those parts, however short, were pretty good. Brent mm-hmm. will give this yeah. four chevrons mainly for the Prometheus. Zach will give it four chevrons for a vague reasons of, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> close. Very close. There you go. So those are our predictions. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That's a lot of fun. Thank you very much, everybody. Now, Brent. Yeah. As we turn toward the penultimate episode of season six. Mm-hmm. It is called Prophecy. Mm-hmm. And as you think about this episode, Prophecy, mm-hmm. and what it's about, what is it about? Hmm. Prophecy. All right. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team traveled through the gate to find them. Wait a minute. They're still in the wormhole. They haven't yet gotten to their strange new world. As has been established since the feature film, the actual transition from one world to the next is something of a roller coaster. You go up and you go down and you go past a star and it screeches. My goodness, does it screech. I really hate that sound effect. They need to change it. While in the wormhole, though, Jonas receives a message. He's seen in a flashback, or at least a flashback to him, He's in a strange place, and he's surrounded by familiar figures, and he's playing baseball. 
the scene changes and he's he's back at uh the, at the Stargate command and and you know there's there's the, everyone there's the SG1s around him and there's there's General Hammond and there's Radar and everybody's everybody's there but something's wrong something is very wrong the scene flashes again he finds himself now in the room where uh the uh, Nagoda explosion was about to happen just before he, you know, back when he was uh, whatever that planet was, where he was a scientific researcher person or whatever, before he met SG-1. And and he finds himself uh, d- d- being the person who uh, knocks the cover off, not Daniel Jackson. And then things flash around and all of a sudden he finds himself stepping through the gate and they're on their strange world. But Jonas Quinn feels forever changed because somehow, some way, he has been given a message that he is... Not just Jonas Quinn, but he is indeed a prophet. <gasps> Join us next time on Deep Space Nine. I mean, Stargate SG-1 Prophecy. So that episode is actually called Emissary, but that's okay. I mean, whatever. I know. I, I do appreciate the callback to Deep Space Nine. I get it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I, I will say that where you got it right is that Jonas plays a significant role in this episode. Oh, hey. Okay, fun. With that, shall we watch the promo? Yes. Let's do All it. Right. I will hit play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. Oh, hey, Jonas. It is. Jonas Quinn is having visions of the future. Wait a minute, he's having visions. I got that right too. Yeah. <laughs> visions that come Jonas. with a terrible price. Russ and I have been discussing the possibility that this has something to do with Mirki. That it's another step towards the creation of a Hawkatar. Thanks. Uh oh. With his life Uh-oh. in danger. Will Jonas be able to use his visions to save SG-1 and a planet enslaved by the gold? I'll leave you to think about it. Can the future truly be changed? Or is it only visions of death? Oh no! Oh no! Teal'c! It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Oh boy! Oh my! Okay. Well, so that's the that's the penultimate for season six. You said the penultimate. Okay. All right. Indeed. Oh boy. So 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 yeah, we we're we're in the zone where where problems can happen. People people's plot armor gets a little thin at the end of a season. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is a true uh, statement. Uh huh. Okay. So we okay. Shall see what happens there. Uh-huh. I'm kind of excited. Um, yeah. So, again, special thanks to David for the promos, yes, thank you, David. as always. Appreciate them. They're awesome. Uh, if you have any other comments about this episode, there's some conflicting thoughts about this episode. Some people yes, give it indeed. high numbers. Some give them low numbers. Uh, nobody gave them lower than us, Brent. Where does that put us? We're the, we're the we're the most... We're, we're the Waldorf and Stadlers. Of the there group. you go. So... Uh, tell us what you think. Tell us all the things with Facebook and Twitter and 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 email and 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 stuff and Discord. Go to yes. Discord too. Yes, the Discords. Uh, yes, if Brent is actually moderately active on Discord. Yes, that's true. I I say things about once every what day and a half or so. Hey, I'm lucky to say something. 
<laughs> but yeah, there's some chatter going yeah, on over there. It's absolutely. a lot of fun. So uh, join us there if you want. Uh, until then, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.